Hello, readers and writers. I am Anthony L. Manna, also known as Professor Grandpa Tonio, the book guy and the writing guy. Welcome to Writers on Writing, my podcast series of conversations with new and established authors. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce you to an author whose pen name, that is, the delightful name he uses as an author is Professor Stork. When I set out to gather information about Professor Stork's books, I was intrigued to learn about his fascinating quest as a writer and author, and here's what I learned. Professor Stork is on a mission to write and publish books that help children build and nurture self-worth, creativity, compassion, leadership skills, and a sense of purpose. I, you know, that, that, that's fantastic that you have that in your mind. You know what I mean? And I see it, you know, I see it projected in your books, of course, as I, as I did as much research as I could possibly find. He believes that children are the catalyst for positive change and that reading is a way for them to begin the journey leading to a fulfilling and purposeful life. Readers and writers today gather with me here to ask Professor Stork about his belief in the power of entertaining and imaginative stories to encourage children to explore vital life lessons, I should say issues too, and gain deep understanding of their place in the world. Let's see if his experience as an elementary school teacher, a position he held for 12 years, was instrumental in empowering him to trust that the themes and topics in his very own books are capable of sparking children's desire and confidence, confidence to make the world a better place. Professor Stork is also a dedicated social activist committed to building compassionate communities proven by his dedication as a founder of The School Report, a nationwide company that helped relocating, helped relocating families identify school districts that would meet their family needs in the area where they were planning to live. Teachers and parents also take note, Professor Stork, using the name Neil Rosen, is the co-author of A Mid-Century Modern View of education, a forthcoming book that illustrates how parents and teachers thought about education in the 1960s and the 1970s. And the book, I understand, is designed for parents of elementary, elementary children, helping them to build a strong learning-centered home environment. That's a worthy cause if I ever heard one, wow. <laughs> and to strengthen their family-school partnership. That's so true. All right, so Professor Stork, welcome. Thank <laughs> I'm you. So glad, I'm glad nice you're here. Introduction. Thank you. I'm delighted to be talking with you today about your life as a writer. Um, and so, you know, let me. I'll work through. I'll work through my my prompts and my questions to you. I um, I, I I like to ask this to authors in particular. I say, when did you know that you wanted to be a writer, particularly a children's book author? You know, that is a question I, I get often too, and I've thought about it a lot. And I believe I've probably always wanted to be a children's book author. When I was, uh, when I was a child, I obviously read everything I could get my hands on. And I remember one of my favorite series way back then was the Hardy Boys, which was a, a mystery series. And um, 
I would read it at, at nine and 10 years old or eight years old. I'd read under my covers and I'd read the Hardy Boys book. And then one day I got up and I wrote a Hardy's Boys book. So <laughs> I wrote my first book when I was 10 and it was a Hardy Boys adventure book. And, and um, I've always wanted to write, but then life sort of got in the way. <laughs> and I did a lot of writing in between, but between once I went off to college and, and started teaching and then started businesses and everything. It really wasn't until, and I was always jotting notes and I was always writing sequences and I was always writing down ideas and thoughts for books and stuff like that. But it was really a few years ago when I retired that I actually got to sit down and put keyboard to imaginary paper or whatever it is on your computer <laughs> and started to, and started to write these books and put them together. Well, well, yeah, the thoughts hey, for them had been there. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it started early. Why right. It's, it started it, yeah. early. And also when I was a teacher, just another quick and interesting thing, I was pretty tall and very thin and whatever when I started my career. And Professor Stork was a name that actually came from the kids in school that they called me. <laughs> oh, really? Because well, yeah. that was my my next idea was to ask you, you know, I mean, where where did you get Professor Stork from? Well, right. that's so it's from the kids themselves. It's right. It's from the kids themselves, and that—that's where it came from, right? Because they thought of you looking like a stork. I think that's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, on your yeah, <laughs> on your website, you you tell your visitors that you believe your books can quote help children build and nurture self worth, creativity, compassion, leadership school skills, and a sense of purpose. And I was intrigued. I mean, I still am intrigued by your belief that good stories and children's involvement in reading them can help children to reach these remarkable and challenging goals. How did you come to believe this, that books can do this? Well, there are a few different ways. I mean, I believe it because I know books have done it for me and books have done it for my children. Um, but it's not just it, it, it's not just the book alone. Each of the books I write has a theme um, that takes on an issue, you know, facing the world. I mean, um, the legend of the summer snowflake takes on plastic in the ocean and how to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And so the book, by its very nature, by its very theme, is going to raise issues. The other thing a book, I believe, has to do is open up kids to ask questions of the parents that they're working with or that they're reading with. If you can do that, if you can get a kid as they're reading to be asking a lot of questions and spend time, that gives parents the opportunity to also raise it to another level. And that's critical. A lot of times I see kids, they get books, they go in the corner, they read the book, they put it down, they go away, they go on to the next book, they're reading millions of kids' books, and they never ask questions. They never have, they, they never have any, they're not challenged, that type of a thing. So yeah. when I put out these books, before I ever publish one, I work with some librarians and I work with some teachers and I have kids read the book. And the key thing I look for is, is the book raising conversation? Is it starting a conversation with a parent, with a librarian, with a teacher, with, with whoever they're with? And to me, that's one of the biggest signs I have of knowing when a book is going to be successful. That's great. Yeah. And I think that that's a skill that's, that can be taught. You know, I mean that we are there as their teachers. And I know in my own teacher teaching, uh, training teachers at the university, it was, what do you do to generate that kind of 
curiosity. Right. You know, and uh, and I understand what you mean. I mean, like, you know, because kids get into that, especially mid middle grade there, they, they just want to read everything quickly, you know, and get through it and get through it. It's almost like the competition. But uh, we can stop and ask them, you know, to explore a little bit. And it takes it takes good teachers, you know, right. really. but also a good book can do that. A good, a good book, a good book will stop a kid and have him ask or her ask a question. It, it can make that happen. I've seen it happen many, many, many times over where they get to someplace in a book and they're so like, whoa, what do you really mean by that? And, and, yeah. and they really want to dig in a little bit. And if your book can do that, I think you've been pretty successful because that opens the door for a teacher or a parent to really start building, building the, um, you know, the self-worth that you're looking to build and the leadership skills, all of, all of that comes together. One of the things I'm very focused on is the idea of purpose. And, and the book, um, the book series I'm writing, Mila on Purpose, where the first book is hashtag grow your circle, is, is all about purpose. And, and one of the things that's so fascinating to me about purpose is it's probably the primary trait of great leaders is a sense of purpose. So if you can develop a real sense or help develop or help a child develop their own sense of purpose, you've taken a long step to building a, a leader in the community and in their community and someone who can really live a very, a very well-lived life as it's thought of. That's really wonderful because purpose, when I hear the word purpose and I saw it so often when I was looking for, for your work, uh, is, is a sense of clarity. You know, there's a, there's a kind of clarity about why I am seeking, you know, where I'm going. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, I, and I really, I think that that's a, it's also a very worthwhile value to introduce children to the fact that they, they can have a sense of purpose. Right. Also, they, they absolutely can have a sense of purpose. Yeah, and, and it's, and it's, um, it's not that difficult to teach. It's unbelievably satisfying. I mean, a, kids could have a little, uh, a little lemonade stand and make $20 and donate it to something. And all of a sudden you've changed their lives. I mean, you've literally just something as simple as that, developing that sense of purpose that I can do something good with this thing that I did is like, can really change lives. And I think that, uh, well, I'm, I was gonna say right here that in, in terms of purpose, uh, when, I, when I was looking uh, to your books, I saw, I was struck by the range and depth of your themes. And so I say here, environmental hazards, and that's in the legend of the summer snowflake. And then I saw the power and the honor of kindness and friendship during an epidemic in um, Penelope, and Jack. Penelope and Jack together apart, which is such a great concept, by the way, the fact that they're across they have to reach across their barriers in a sense. Um, and that's really a captivating title, by the way. A young girl has a hard time making a new friend. The new girl comes into the classroom. She's, she looks different. She's uh, from another country. And, um, and it's, uh, a lot of it is the power of friendship there and how it, how it can change a lot of people around it, around the, those kids, because they're so dedicated to one another. And that's Mila on purpose. Right. Hashtag grow your circle. And that book is that book um, 
you know, she learns all about circles, about your family circle and your friend circle and your community circle and what circles are and all about friendship. And really with that book, and it's a boast, but it's, I think, solid is that, you know, friendship can change the world. And, and the whole idea was the hashtag grow your circle and then the hashtag, you know, one new friend at a time. And the hashtags come from the point that at the end of the book, what she does goes viral. And the idea that if everybody made one new friend a month, everyone in the world would be friends in a very short yeah, time. Wouldn't it, be a, wouldn't it be a better world? Well, I'd say exactly. And right now, you know, the world, you know, values like, like purpose, like honesty, like leadership, like truth. They're really, they, they, there's something that we need to really build up in these next generations that are coming up because the world is lacking at the moment. At the moment, yeah, I wonder, you know, it's kind of depressing, but I think yeah. if we could just move forward with a positive sense of purpose, there we go again. Exactly. Um, you know, I realized that uh, when, I, when I went to your uh, Amazon page, sales page, they, uh, the, the idea about uh, Mila on purpose, hashtag grow your circle, is considered to be a trailblazing graphic novel for children six to 10. All right, so what? first of all, what motivated you to venture into the challenging realm of a graphic novel? Well, two things. One, the age group I've really always wanted to write for, that's really the sweet spot, six to 10, 11, 12, that type of thing. And the picture books I've been writing were more in the three to seven, eight range, a little bit of a younger kid for the picture books. And I wanted to try to do something for kids that are a little older. I know them well, that type of thing. And I have three grandchildren in that age range and all of them are reading graphic books. Yeah. So if that's what they want, that's where I was going. But rather than a graphic book that really has no, I'll say it differently, but really has no purpose, <laughs> you know, or, or real theme to it. And some of them do, of course, but a lot of them, a lot of them really don't. I wanted to try to put the two together. So I wanted to put the graphic novel with a book that had some weight because I believe I taught that age group. And I believe sometimes they're under, that children that age are undervalued in terms of their ability to really think fairly deeply about things and understand things fairly deeply and not, not be taught as children. They're right in that age group where they're really exploring the world and themselves and things like that. And they're perfectly capable of understanding these kinds of things. I love that. Yeah. I, well, because there's a movement in education right now, which would defy what you just said. You know, because people, it seems to me that people want to move away from that concept of children going deeper, you know, and certainly with uh, what we've, what they're saying about American history, but that's another interview completely. Yes, you know, one of, the thing, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, though, is because I, I've never done gra a graphic novel. Um, what about uh, your, your work with your illustrator? Was it a collaboration? I mean, how did you go about that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The woman who did the illustrations was an artist that um, I know who's, who knows my son very well. And her work is brilliant. And she had never done a book before. And I asked her if she wanted to give this a try. And from the time we started talking about it until the time it was finished was close to two years. 
And we went back and forth on everything. And then we had different editors look at it. You know, this, this kind of book has to be edited for, besides copy editing and besides content editing, it has to be edited for social sensitivity and things like that, because it's the topic is right in there. And um, so she was just, I, I think her work is brilliant and I'm excited to see what she does with the next book in the series. But it was a, it was a true collaboration well, um, in every sense of the word, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good to know. Um... Because sometimes, I mean, sometimes there's kind of a disconnection between the the writing of a graphic novel and the illustrating. And sometimes, you know, right away when there was a collaboration. And as I saw it unfold in the few pages that I was able to see on Amazon, that um, it uh, there's a real sense of continuity and drama unfolding in each of those frames. You know, and uh, and it, it's very enticing to want to get involved. And um, I, I will send you a copy of it. I didn't realize I hadn't, but I will send you a copy of me. Oh, no, I would love that. That's la- that book is actually launching in October. Oh, that's yeah. I saw that uh, yeah. available October t- 2022. Um, well, I, I realized that uh, you uh, you have picture book series. You've done a rhyming dialogue story. And now you've got this uh, graphic novel on your mind, novels. Right. Um, do, you, do you work on multiple projects at the same time? I tend to, so, sort of like the answer is yes and no. I'm not, I'm not sure how you write. I always have multiple projects going on at the same time, but I tend to work in spurts. I'll pick a book and I'll work on it for six weeks, let's say. And it goes from point A to point B. And then, then I'll put it down for six weeks and I'll work on something else. And then I'll, then I'll go back to it. I like to give books rest in between um, versions of it, because I find that if I try to start writing and editing too quickly, I can edit right past the sweet spot of the book. But if I come back to it a month later or six weeks later, and it's had some time to just rest, what I call mental magnets, and be floating around up there, I usually get much better results. That makes a lot of sense to me. I've been forced because of some responsibility, you know, personal responsibilities I have that I'm not able to work as diligently, let's say, or consistently on the story that I'm working on. But, you know, it's really a, it's really a blessing in disguise because what's happening is it comes with me wherever I go. So in, in the supermarket, I think, Wait a minute. He's got, they've got to talk to that horse. Yeah. She's she's their she's their pet in a sense, you know. And then it dawns on me, I didn't do any of that when they were putting the bit in her mouth. You know, so it's that kind of thing, I think, that as you say, lets a story rest and 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 gather its own ideas in a sense, you know. And I I really like I like hearing that from you. Do you find that some books are more challenging than others? Um I honestly think that with children's books, every book is challenging. I mean, but they're all challenging in different ways. What make the one way they're all challenging in the same way is when you're writing a book for children, especially a picture book, but also a graphic novel, which is, again, not a novel. Every word is so important. That's what makes them challenging. You don't have room to just um, to just throw some crap in there, (laughs) you know. 
every word and every sentence is really important. And that, that's what makes it challenging. Then they're challenging in, in very different ways. I mean, some have, some have science behind them and research behind them and things like that. Others have sensitive topics that you have to be really careful the way you work through. So challenging in different ways, but children's books especially are, you know, to say in 500 words, it would be so much easier to write 20,000 words mm -hmm. on, on pollution in the ocean. To do it in 500 words, that every word becomes important. And that's one of the reasons I take time and go back to it. Most of what I do after I write the first version is shorten it. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I understand that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so important because I think sometimes, um, especially with self-publishing, that people, you can, you can get that sense that they're rushing through this to get it over with, or they're just not being cautious about every word. You know, and so it, it, it loses that intensity uh, that you're expecting from a good, a good story, you know. Right. Um, so the other, the other thing, Anthony, that's really helpful for me, and I'm not sure how you do much with it, when I have a, when I have a draft ready, it's not the final one, but when I have a, a reasonable draft ready, maybe, maybe I've edited it once or twice, I always have some people read it, and with children, I have some children read it, and then I listen to what they have to say and think about that for a while and then go back to the book because that's, that's really helpful. Extremely. And I, you know, I was, I was a little reluctant about joining a writer's group because I heard so many horrifying stories about the insensitivity. And yet, um, and I was at a meeting last night where somebody said they had a terrible experience with, uh, you know, with moving into a writing group, but then, I had a marvelous experience. I was, was, was with very sensitive writers um, and they have all published and um, several of them published within the young, young adult YA field. Um, you know, and uh, they were writing dystopian books. They were writing uh, books about ar uh, ar an army family, et cetera. And it was just like such richness. And then I would present my four or five pages and then there was silence as they were reading. And then the feedback they gave me um, was enormously helpful, you know, and it was, um, you, you had to, I mean, I was becoming very sensitive to the fact that I don't want to call it criticism. I, I want to call it response, you know, and it was, uh, it was very helpful. So I recommend that when people ask me, well, I want to start writing for kids. Where do I begin? I say, start writing for kids with some story ideas that you have and go to your writing group. You know, yeah. and, a writing group is great and then get feedback from your readers i mean i mean really kids will be very very open with you and honest with you and and you take it for what it is i mean you just but still it's still it's useful you know if, if the kids read a page and put the book down you know you got a problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would guess so yeah well i think also um i'd like to ask you about if this comes up to, registers for you your habits or your routines um you know what do you do you have a i mean you mentioned it a little bit about and i think it was quite sufficient where you you put it down you go away you come back and i asked about you know writing uh working on several projects at the same time and do you do that consistently then i mean is that something that you developed as a habit as a writer yeah i write i always write in the morning and, and, and I always put an hour aside in the morning and it always ends up being two or three hours. It, it, when, when you actually start writing, it just goes so quickly. So I would say, you know, at least four mornings a week I write. And then sometimes I'll do editing in the evening. Yeah. But 
I wake up, I don't know, I just wake up. There's always something happens when I wake up in the morning, you know, and it's not always about the book I expect. It may not be about the book I went to bed thinking about. And I wake up with an idea and I'll, I'll pull out that book and, and work on it because I am working on three or four books, that, you know, at, at the same time. Yeah. But I always write in the morning. And then um, when I edit, I do it, you know, a lot of it in the evening. And but like you said, and it's not just um, what I've learned. And I've learned that over the last three years when I've been doing this and and it shows in the quality of the books as you write more and more, the more recent books and things like that, not only on a writing group, but. I'm a teacher and, and I taught English and I know the language pretty well. And I would never now do a book without an editor or two editors, you know, different editors, content editor, copy editor, all of these people really make your book better. Oh, absolutely. That's what they do. Yeah. And I would never venture into self-publishing with that same attitude. You know, you need, if, you, if you're looking for quality uh, and you're looking for something that's that sparks interest that you need, you know, you need people who understand um, how language operates and what the arc of a story is, you know, and, uh, exactly. and even, I'm thinking even in your rhyming dialogue uh, that, what about that? We haven't talked about that very much. What show, why did you move into the direction of rhyming dialogue? Actually, it's the opposite. That was, that was actually the first book I ever wrote. I haven't really, launched it yet but that was that was the first book I wrote uh -huh. and it was a lot of fun and I had it edited and I really like it but it was like a um it was a fun it was just a I think it's a really fun book to read I, in, yeah. in the corner of my room and it's a, and it's a really fun story yeah um no deep meaning to it no great uh no great purpose you know in the book or for the book but it was fun. And since then, the books I've moved on to, I've wanted to move on to books that that really had a little more weight and a little more purpose, a lot based on the way the world is changing. It, it's like it's almost becoming necessary. Yeah. But then again, I mean, the, the rhyming book, I mean, what about if you looked at it as entertainment? Why not? It is. It, it was fun. Yeah. It's an entertaining book. And, I, and I'll put it out there. Yeah, um, I hope so. And it's yeah. cute. I think it is. Uh, did you did you take a look at it? Did you, did I, you see how it ends? No, I couldn't. I couldn't find it. I, I saw the title. I went and looked for it, and it was it was not easy to find. But um, I'm, I'm going to send. I'm going to send you this book because it's a it's a typical Omazusian kind of kind of book where where a kid gets in trouble and gets punished and is told to go stand in the corner. I, this and part it, I liked. Yeah, I saw has, that. And he has such a good time standing in the corner <laughs> that that. When his mother calls him to dinner, he doesn't want to go. And he says, oh, my God, if I don't go to dinner, then I'm going to get in trouble. But wait a minute. <laughs> you know. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I saw that that kind of uh, independence developing. You know, right. and I, this is pretty cool. You know, yeah. and I, I love um, I love the idea of the rhyming book, because, I mean, you can do so much with that with kids, you know, to have them repeat the rhyme, you know, and that type of thing. I just sure. think, I think it's a great idea. Um so I say here, um, I, I'm, I'm asking of, uh, some questions about your relationship with your illustrator and other book designers. Do you, can you, I mean, you did talk about the collaboration with your graphic design, with your graphic novel person, illustrator. Um, other, and other, other people have helped you? 
Oh, lots of other people. I work in a, in a lot of in a lot of different ways, trying different things. I, I definitely work with a um, with a book designer. I've worked with a book designer on the last three books, and it's funny because most people, the illustrator is the designer, and the illustrator decides where the words go and where the pictures go and design. But lately, I've been working with a designer, so the illustrator only does the illustrations, and the designer designs not only the cover, but designs the interior and chooses the fonts. And I never realized how much goes into that. And, and it's really a lot in terms of making a book great. And so where did you find these, this designer? The designer that I work with and the editors I work with, I actually found on Reedsy. Oh, okay. R-E-D-S-Y. And the designer I work with is in Israel. I'm a member of She's amazing. Oh, that's good to know. Because, I mean, I kind of skip over Reedsy a little bit because I get so much email. But that's good for me to... That's good for me to know in terms of uh, the book I'm working on right now. If I can find copy editor, et cetera, et cetera. But then again, I want to say to everybody who's listening, don't forget bubblish.com. That's B-U-B-L-I-S-H.com. And I'll uh, definitely take a look there. Yeah, and I talked to the CEO uh, a while back, and then I just talked to one of her consultants. And so far, there's a, a real sense of uh, integrity and quality. You know, and I'm sure you're finding this with Reedsy too, I mean, because these people are, you know, they're out there to help us. Um, well, with Reedsy, it's it, it, with Reedsy, it's different. You have to do the individual research. Yeah, because these are not Reedsy editors. This is really more of like a um, a board, you know, a, a a board that these people sign up on. It's like going to Angie's List or something. And so every editor in the world is there, and you've really got to try to find an editor that's got strong and a lot of background with successful okay. books in the specific genre you're working with and stuff like that. Wonderful. The designer I found, I really like is fabulous. Editors, I'll use different editors for different types of books. Well, that's great. No, and that segues to one of my last questions, which is, and I like this because I mean, uh, I say here, what advice do you have for that person out there who longs to be a published writer of children's books? And I think one of the things you just said is that hold on to the quality. And be sure that you, you know, you maintain the quality and that your purpose is quality. Exactly right. And, and, I, and I would say what you, what you had said before, and I'd say it slightly differently, but the one thing I've learned more than anything else, well, it's really a two-part thing. The first part is really listen to the people you work with. Don't, don't feel like they work for you. They work with you. If you work with an editor, listen to the editor, a designer, listen to the designer, a cover designer. That's really important to have a cover designer. But at the end of the day, you own the book. And so if you don't like what somebody says or what somebody's telling you or thinks about it, don't feel like just because you hired them as an editor or a designer, you have to do it. So it has to go both ways. Take advice, listen carefully. Most of the time they make sense but you own the book. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great, well, no, I think I, I, you answered that question so beautifully in terms of the advice you would give to someone new, you know, is that you, you've worked hard, you know, and you seek, you seek the truth of other people, but stay with it, you know, and then realize that you, that one change that's being asked, maybe you don't want to move into that change. You know, you, you, you want to hold on to right. road. Why not? I mean, that's, Exactly. And yeah. the other, the one other thing to think about, which I know you think about is um, selling a book and writing a book are two totally different things. They're just totally different worlds. 
So you need just as much advice in terms of how to market a book, especially if you're going to self-publish, as you do in terms of how to write a book, because it's just, it's an entirely different skill set. And you put all your time and effort and energy into writing these books. If nobody ever reads it, that's, that's sad. So that's perfect. That, that's perfect because there we go. Rick Light, L-I-T-E at. He's great. Yeah, Rick Light uh, at. Um, Stress-free stress marketing. Free, stress-free children, book marketing. Stress-freemarketing.com. Yep. Yeah, here, I, I always mess up that title. But I mean, if, they, if you look up Rick Light on uh, Google, you'll find him. And uh, well, I mean, I went to him. I didn't have, I didn't have a, uh, a really good website. And he helped me work on that day and night, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, got it going for me. But also he's with me all the time. I mean, I. I uh, have a lot of respect for his uh, his sensitivity to my work, you know, and I think that's the kind of collaboration that I always wants to have. And Rick, Rick can offer that. We right. have to end. We're almost. Yeah. yeah. So if you're I going guess, to self-publish, you need a marketing yeah. team just as much as you need a writing team. Yeah. And I want to say that Rick is all about marketing. All you know? about it. Yeah. Stress free, free book marketing. And um, he knows that world. He's, uh, and also, I mean, I take, like, I will take this particular uh, interview that I'm doing with you, and uh, he, he will help, help me edit it and get it out there, you know, and it's just uh, a collaboration I adore. That's great. Just make sure my website's on it. <laughs> so okay. Yeah. No, I, no, visit me. Yeah, no, I'll be, I'll be sure to. Yeah. Just, all right. Yeah. Thank Professor Stewart. Thank you. Anthony, thank um, you for welcoming your time. me and our listeners into your world as an author. You can visit Professor Stork at www.professorstork.com to find lots of information about his books, his future writing projects. There are book reviewers, uh, appreciative responses to his books there. I love that how you, after everyone, when you mentioned a book, you've got parents and other people responding to the book. That's really neat. You'll find a recording of this interview, people, um, in the media section of my website, which is Anthony Manna, that's M-A-N-N-A, anthonymannabooks.com at Writers on Writing Podbean Podcasts. And uh, along the way, I've, I've interviewed a lot of really interesting uh, writers and very insightful writers that have given me a lot to think about. And so, Professor Stork, I say thank you so much for that as well. I mean, I just, you know, it was, it, you know, I always walk away from these interviews knowing that it's been a good one because I've learned so much. So say, thank you so much. And, thank you, uh, Anthony. Thank you for your yeah, time. You're welcome. And, yeah, and we'll be in touch, I'm sure. We'll be in good. touch. All right. We will. Take, take good care. Thank you. Bye-bye.